0: I just got to a point, I right, this is not worth it, like this on no level is worth it and why am I doing this and I think it was the, the fear of you've worked so hard to get to this point, you have sacrificed so much and now you're here and you're like this is, I don't want this and it felt terrifying, the idea of turning my back on that and giving it all up.
1: Welcome to Priorities, the podcast about the things in life that really matter. I'm your host, journalist and coach Lily Silverton, and each week, along with a roster of incredible guests, I'll be exploring how priorities inform and transform our lives, sharing mindset tips, strategies, tools, and inspiration to help you prioritise your own life. We'll be covering what we think is important and unimportant, what we'd like to work on a little more, and the moments that changed our priorities and lives forever. I hope you enjoy My guest today is Sam Hall, better known as Goldie Rocks, an international DJ and broadcaster. Sam has DJed to thousands of people across the world, including sets at Glastonbury, Burning Man and Ibiza Rocks, and exclusive performances for celebrities such as Madonna, Giorgio Armani and Richard Branson. For her weekly global radio show, The Selector, she had a staggering 4.3 million weekly listeners, in 2012, she played the opening ceremony of the London Paralympic Games to over one billion watching on TV, and the late Queen, who was in the arena. In 2014, she also became the first ever overseas female DJ to perform in Cuba. More recently, Sam trained as a sound therapist and gong master, and founded IO Project, a company that brings sound meditation to unique locations across the world. She's currently writing her first book, a semi-autobiographical work about the best parties around the world. Hello.
0: (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Thanks for having me on. Lovely.
1: It's so nice to have you here. Tell me, do you have a morning routine of any sort that you can share with us?
0: Yes, I do. Um, Some of it's lovely and very inspirational and some of it is very old fashioned. First thing in the morning, my cat always sleeps right under my arm. So I give her a big kiss and drink an enormous um, cup of coffee in bed, which probably isn't the healthiest way of starting a day. But I think 15 years of touring, it's a hard habit to break. And then I go into our meditation room and do my mornings sort or of prayers and mantras for the day and meditate and have a little stretch. So that's kind of, that's always, no matter where I am in the world, that's what I do first thing other than the cat kissing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And the morning prayers and and mantras are they in English or are they in a different language?
0: Yeah, they are. they It's not. Um, it's not anything particularly poetic or or beautiful. It. It's quite simply what I want from the day. Um, praying for people by name, anyone that I think needs some good energy or inspiration. Just sort of outlining what I want from my day, how I want to feel, um, and giving thanks and gratitude.
1: And have you always done that? Is that always? Something
0: um, it's something that I've done in times of strife, and then during the pandemic, I started doing it daily, sometimes twice, and I found it just such a transformative process that I think I'll do it. I think I'll do it forever now. Um, like I said, it's not necessarily um, a religious prayer. It's it's, are about setting energies and tensions with my own mind and my own heart, but also just putting that energy out to the world.
1: Mm, I really like it, framed like that. Maybe I'll give it a try. Yeah, we <laughs> then get the kids involved.
0: Yeah, lovely. This I think it would be a wonderful thing to do with children. Like just about getting your mind clear. You know, when you're at school, you would do sort of morning assembly, and, and why do we not all start life like that? As humans, it's exactly the same thing. You just need to get yourself all in order. And then I think your day just sort of flows a lot more calmly and a lot more with intention rather than immediately as soon as you wake up to starting to reacting to other things. Um, I think that's really, really important.
1: Mm, 100%. If you can just get a little bit of, bit of a grip, I guess, over
0: that initial... Yeah, a grip's a really start, good way of putting it, yeah.
1: ...can flow from there. mm and we all know that if we start the day well, we feel more equipped to deal with things when exactly. they
0: go to as well. <laughs> and there always is. Oh, always God, stress. get out of the way, dodging these bullets. <laughs> okay, so let's
1: let's go straight into your first priority, mm. which you gave as being present. Mm. So that, that ties really well into the description of what you do in the morning. Talk to us a little bit about what being present means to you, Sam.
0: So I... I think probably the most important thing in in the whole world is to be present because it doesn't matter if you're doing the most exciting thing on paper, if you're not fully emotionally engaged with it, really feeling every sensation, then really what's the point? Um, And, you know, I say this is someone that um, over the course of sort of 15 years, I I around the world and it was always so so busy and rushed and hectic and exhausting and on paper some of the things I was doing was was so exciting and brilliant and they were bucket list moments and sometimes I was really present and I really en- it's not even about enjoying but just being witnessing what is happening and being fully engaged in what's happening and sometimes I think I was so overwhelmed whether that's from exhaustion or trying to do too many things at once or pressure or a myriad of things I wasn't present and so now the stage I'm at in my life um, after several revelations which I'm sure we'll get on to later that is just my real number one no matter what I'm doing I want to be fully present and to the point that if I find I'm coasting or just sort of not really paying attention and, and just not being mindful I really consciously stop pause take a moment go back to my breath and be like right what are we doing because I just think life's too short and you need to be aware of everything whether that's how I'm having a lovely conversation with someone or I'm DJing or I'm even just eating something amazing I just I don't want to coast through I want to be there
1: kind of easier said than done right
0: really really it's it's a really hard thing to do (laughs) it's a really really hard thing to do um and I think slowing down to almost a snail pace in the pandemic for me um, really helped me get into that practice. And then on really really busy days, it is a really hard thing to do. But I feel I'm so much better. I'm a more interesting person. I'm more um, empathetic. I'm I'm more engaged. I'm more creative. If I'm there in that moment, so it's it's what I strive for. But it's it's called practice for a reason, right? You're not supposed to have it nailed in one go. So you just keep keep working on that and keep keep growing.
1: Mm. So you just keep bringing yourself back. Yeah, trying to. <laughs> again. which <laughs> is really like the non-stop practice of meditation. I guess that's yeah,
0: like- yeah, totally. I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I am. Um, um, permanent state yeah I think I I just I just think it's such a such a waste I think we spend so much of our lives rushing around and and especially those little computers in our hand constantly constantly having them and they're such a distraction from the present moment like even last night you know my husband's in New York for work at the moment so it's just me and the cats in the house and um I came home from a lovely dinner with my friend where I'd really been engaged. I'd really been present. And I was like, oh, I'll just I'll wind down for bed and have a nice early night. And before I knew it, I'm like, oh, my God, I've been mindlessly scrolling and going in this horrible Internet zone for two hours. And it was almost two in the morning. And I'm just like, I was so cross with myself. And I was just like, what an absolute waste. So I do where possible just try and keep the phone away because I have no power over that addiction. So it's best just not to even entertain it at all. Um, and just, yeah, try and keep it firmly away as often as possible and just set my set my sights on one task, really focus, do it from start to finish it and move on to the next thing. But um, it's, uh, the busier we are, the more we want to multitask and mm. yeah, it's it can be challenging.
1: Mm. And in this modern world, I mean, our phones, of course, are a big contributor, but just full stop, it's like everything is about going faster Mm. and maximizing your time or your effort or whatever it is. Mm. It's at odds, really, with slowing down and being present. Mm. So Uh, what do you – what helps you
0: be present? That's interesting. Um, I think there's – where so where I live now, it's um it's a little village just outside London. And we're surrounded by nature. So there's a river on one side and there's a field with horses in the other. And I think for me, even when I lived in the city, just going back to nature and really soaking in what's happening in that in that moment has always been a very grounding experience for me, even if that's just looking out the window but it's just like noting the colors um noting if there's wind noting the lights here noting the animals you know just what what's happening going back to something outside of yourself rather than just getting wrapped up in those cogs in your brain where it just always speeds up for me you know i've got i've got a history of sort of anxiety and and overthinking and and sometimes quite obsessive thoughts and so just going back and removing yourself from the sort of monkey brain and being an observer of your thoughts and an observer of the situation. I find that that really helps slow things down and then just not get wrapped up in the spiral. Mm.
1: Yeah, definitely. Spending time in nature is a good way to remind
0: ourselves to slow down. Mm. But that can be... That can even be, if you're in the city, just looking out and, and seeing a tree or looking at the pigeons, you know, it doesn't have to be these sort of beautiful waterfalls and, and something out of a Bronte novel. It can be really, really simple observing, you know, if you've got a pet, what they're doing and just how they're, re- they're doing their own thing. And they're just sort of, I just, yeah, and my breath as well, always going back to breath. I find in those moments where you get flustered, I, I had such a bad habit of those short breaths and you'd feel yourself getting tighter and more compressed and just stretching out and opening out physically your chest. You can almost feel your, you know, your inner body expanding and opening. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, you're, you're a yogi, like the power of yoga is incredible, but even just the basic symbols of dancer stretches, just being present in your body, feet firm on the floor, going back to that breath.
1: Mm. And yeah, it is always, I want to say as well to anyone who's like not a yogi, it is very much about the simple stuff, mm. about the breath or, you know, just being able to sit for a little bit, which is probably the hardest thing to do in yoga. Full stop, just sit and be with your thoughts. <laughs> the, <laughs> the postures are whatever. Anyone can, anyone can work on those. It's the sitting that's tough. I find my kids help me stay present because they very much live in the presence. Mm. They are, they are immersed in whatever's going on, whether that's good or bad, whether they are having a great time
0: or tantruming, they're, they're right there and they drag you back in. Um, that's amazing. So I don't, um, I don't have children Yeah, only, only furry ones and, um, I think actually that the opposite would be the case that you'd be like oh gosh right I've got to think about the next thing because they're so focused in this so you're sort of always planning one step ahead but that's that's lovely to hear.
1: Yeah you're absolutely right there is a huge amount of that forward planning making sure everything's Mm -hmm. working I think I'm not there yet but especially when the kids get older and then you've got like schedules to organize or <laughs>
0: whatever. These little power meetings. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. But I do find that if they're playing and I put down my phone and sit with them and get involved in what's going on, then that really is an is an exercise and a lesson in being really present.
0: Play. Play I think is the most powerful thing for being present. And I think it's something as adults that we don't do enough. Mm-hmm. Um that's actually the sort of the the promo line I suppose of IO project is for adults who've forgotten how to play and um that that was it for me in a nutshell when I uh I became very burnt out after you know a lovely career but but, but exhausting and 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 too many things I was just like where's that where's that spark it's it's not that I'm not enjoying what I'm doing but I'm just that real excitable magic spark I've lost it and so I developed this sense of um, practices, these sort of these pillars that I try and live my life by of things that just really worked to help me be present and be in the moment. Um, two key of which I'm sure we'll talk about later, but is sound meditation um, and, and CBD. And they just were transformative, practical tools um, just to, yeah, to help that spark and that playfulness come back.
1: Mm. I actually wrote a newsletter recently about play and about the importance of it and how I find it quite hard to do mm. and get immersed in without thinking of other things or or wanting to do something else or feeling a bit weird. And it's yeah. that practice of doing it more. But I actually remember you used to, um, do, well, When Morning Gloryville, which is a morning rave, Sober Rave used to exist, that you used to play that. Mm. And I thought that was brilliant for play because it really encouraged adults to just let go and have loads of fun and it not be in any way connected to alcohol or drugs, which are very often the
0: two um accompanying forces, let's say. Oh my God, totally. <laughs> it's um going I think out it's still fun. going. That was an amazing party. And there's lots of other sober parties that are kind of similar. I know Rise and Shine do an amazing event in um London once a month and in Tulum now as well. Um I remember the first time I went to that party and I was, I've never been so frightened in my life. And it's because it was 11am and in broad daylight, you know, no dark disco lights or, or little sneaky corners to hide in. And yes, yeah, stone cold sober. Um, and it just seemed, and everyone was absolutely going for it. It was like peak room, 3am vibes, you know, everyone just absolutely letting loose and um, covered head to go to toe and feathers and glitter and Fabulous color. and it was just a beautiful explosion of expression. and i can't I can't tell you how freeing it is to do something like that and just to sort of park your inhibitions at the door and to just be. And I know that you know that full expression sort of thing you'd get on a tacky like thing on a wall or something. but it's like, dance like nobody's watching, but it really is that <laughs> that energy, yeah, you know, and just freedom and and just to be and to be alive and and to witness being alive in that moment um but you can incorporate that into your life every day you know dancing dancing in the kitchen with your cat or or just being silly you know with your with your children it's just about opening yourself up and letting letting go mad the magic of letting go Hmm. I took my
1: husband to Morning Gloryville to a sober row for our like second or third date, mm-hmm. which I thought was a very good test. Like enjoy <laughs> this, then <and>, you know, <laughs> and he was great. He went all in like, <laughs> six thirty in the morning <laughs> to go literally before work. Yeah. By eight. So you talked a moment ago about burning out and creating IO project. Mm. So for that, for you, then really your priorities completely shifted. So you went from revolving your life around touring and sort of very late nights and your DJing to moving into a slightly different space and talk a little bit more about why that happened how it happened
0: yeah so I must I must sort of say from the get-go it's like I I still very much you know am a DJ and I Mm. still tour um i just you know and i lo- i love it i i it's a brilliant brilliant job and it's such a joy and there is there is nothing like it in the world that that relationship between performer and audience and and just that that connection and it's electric and i hope i'll be doing it when i'm an elderly lady in some form or other just that that level of like performer and audience and expression so um quite simply I, I worked, I always had a dream of working in music and I didn't come from a particularly creative family or anyone that was connected, but I was just, it was absolute, my obsession and I was so hungry. I cannot express how hungry I was for it. And it was my every thought or my every soul. It consumed me this, this ambition just to have have, have made it. And I started doing music journalism when I was about fifteen, and I um, lied on my CV and said I was older than it was. So I got guest lists to all these gigs and would review them, and 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 the classic just worked and worked and worked and worked my way up. And by the time I was eighteen, I was um, an assistant for John Peel, and um, and then I moved up to London and went to art school, and and very soon after started Goldie Rocks, and it really was a whirlwind. Um, still when I was at uni, I was, you know, touring internationally and I had an agent and really, I think the truth of it be told, I was probably too young for it to happen as quickly as it did. And I got some incredible opportunities, but I don't really feel I was still quite emotionally equipped or mature, mature enough to handle all of them. And also the other, you know, the other flip of the coin I mean, by no means, you know, I wasn't exactly Paris Hilton, but it still is. I was still 20 and then getting asked to walk these red carpets and things like that. And I just, you know, I was just 20. So you, I was, you know, had too much to drink and was smoking ciggies and it just looked a bit of a hot mess. But it was, imagine just sort of going out and partying in your 20s and how messy and complicated that is but actually it's sort of you're semi getting paid to do it and there's people taking photos of it. So it's all very complicated and a lot of pressure and um, not as quite sort of strategic and business minded as maybe the DJs are today going into that career. I sort of tumbled and catapulted and enthusi- enthusiastically threw myself into it, but it was it, at times a hot mess. Um, And... I got a radio show called The Selector, and this was my dream, dream job. It was a two-hour, completely new music radio show that I had complete creative control over. So live sessions, interviews, DJ mixes, record label features, et cetera. And it was um, made in conjunction with the British Council, so it was syndicated around the world. And over the course of a decade, I presented the show for a decade, we I mean, we just did so well. Like we absolutely worked our socks off at this show. But by the end, we were in forty six countries on FM around the world, over four million listeners, won you know, loads of awards, and it was one of the most syndicated radio shows in the world. And um I mean, it was such an honor and a privilege to do that show. I think anyone that has done specialist music programming and specialist radio, It is so relentless. The thing with a weekly radio show is you never, ever take your foot off the the pedal. It's always, oh, go, go, go. The second you finish one show, you have to be researching and prepping for another. And to do, you know, to do one two-hour show, it's days and days and days of work and and pre-records and research. And you've got a whole team working on this show to make it so incredible. So by 10, I would add to that, that it's this, this massive international beast. So I would be flying. God, I feel awful about it thinking about my carbon footprint, but like I'd be flying long haul twice a month easily. And I did that for 10 years. And it was an amazing thing to do in your twenties. Um, because you just felt so rock and roll and like, Oh my God, the things I've seen and like, what an amazing opportunity. But after 10 years, you're like, I am on my knees exhausted. Like So many of my relationships have been challenged because of it, because there was no stability, there was no routine, there was no sense of home. It was always just like whizzing from one thing to another. I think all the best bits about DJing are also maybe the worst bits about DJing in that it's like, it's exciting and fresh and you're always meeting new people, but that means that you don't have a base and you don't have a grounding and the travel is amazing because you get to see the world and and really experience all these different cultures, but it's also mind bending. Um, mm. so I've I completely gone a roll now, and I forgot what you originally <laughs> asked me. I'm like, this is my life.
1: I asked how Rolled you credit. You're, you're a great broadcaster. That's the thing. <laughs> um, I asked how you got to that point of burnout. Oh yeah, well there we go.
0: <laughs> and um, yeah, and and then um. My husband, Ian, and I, we got together, and he's like no one that I've ever dated before. You know, I normally dated musicians or or DJs or other people kind of similar worlds and similar routines. And Ian, um he works in sustainability and impact, but essentially, like, right, it's an office job. He has a clear routine and a clear clear pattern and a way of doing things. And so I think actually, just how maybe, dysfunctional like my routine and my life was became really apparent and stark when we started going out um and also what so much that I was missing Mm. I always I was like it's okay this is what you have to sacrifice to you know to have my career and this is but actually after doing that for so long you know missing weddings missing birthdays don't even ask me for a Sunday roast, like, ha ha ha, why would you even ask? Obviously I'm not going to be available, but actually it becomes very lonely after 15 years of that. And, and I realized how much joy there was in those gorgeous, simple, lovely things, like sharing roast potatoes on a Sunday, heaven, like going to the cinema on a Saturday night. Oh my God, how lovely. And these things, because I just didn't have them ever, they just bring me so much joy now in that some people probably think bits of my life are a bit boring and why would she give up all that excitement for this? But I can't tell you how much joy it, it brings me, just like a cinema date and a glass of red wine on a Saturday. It feels quite exotic and different and out there. Um But yeah, I was, by the end of it, I was a burnt out mess. I really, really was. I, um, you know, physically I wasn't fit and definitely drinking too much. Um, Anxiety was rife. Um, And I just sort of felt lots of my relationships had slipped and I was just exhausted. I think the real key is the year I started doing, as as well as all the selector and everything else I was doing, I started doing a Friday night dance show for Capital FM. It was a big deal, you know, after Radio 1, it was the biggest dance dance show on a Friday night, national across the UK. But the slot would be like 2 in the morning to 7 in the morning. So doing that in itself is like, oh, God. Like anyone that's done a night shift will appreciate how grueling it is and how um, you really feel like you're this ghost in society because. You're just not on the same wavelength as anyone. It's one thing DJing and having a late night, but then actually going to bed at eight in the morning. It's a real, real mind warper. But I would, because I got got most of my income from DJing, I'd be doing a Friday night gig, then going to the radio. And the only way I physically could get to my gig on the Saturday would not be go to bed, but just go straight through, get a couple of hours of sleep on the Saturday afternoon, do the gig Saturday. And I mean on a weekly basis, I was often going 27 hours, no sleep. And it's just like going on a bender every night. And and by this time, you know, I was doing, I wasn't really drinking that much to doing it because I physically couldn't, but it was just so bad for you. And I just got to a point, like, this is not worth it. Like this on no level is worth it. And why am I doing this? And I think it was the, the fear of you've worked so hard to get to this point you have sacrificed so much and now you're here and you're like this is I don't want this and it felt terrifying the idea of turning my back on that and giving it all up but um I did <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you're better for it
0: yeah I think so <laughs> I hope so still figuring that out
1: I think it'll come as no surprise that one of my priorities is meditation and yoga. Not that I always find it easy to prioritise because I really don't, but I do know that I'm a better person when I do and my husband will probably back me up on that one. Anyway, I'm so thrilled that this episode is sponsored by my favourite yoga space in the world, Yoga on the Lane. They have a studio in East London which I actually used to live across from, but they also have online classes and workshops. Their founder, Naomi Anand, I've been taking classes with for more than 15 years and can honestly say she and her cohort are some of the most intuitive, welcoming, and expert teachers I know. I'm also clearly not the only one to think this. Naomi is the author of two books, Yoga and Manual for Life and Yoga for Motherhood. So if you've never thought of getting on a mat before, or if you're a very seasoned practitioner, please do check them out. You won't regret it. www.yogaonthelane.com. How did it feel to, I guess, change
0: your identity? Mm. Well, a lot of things changed at once. So I feel that, and I think a lot of change. People, a lot of it changed for other people at once as well. So I left Selector. A month later, we left London, which had been my home for you know fifteen plus years, and moved to which is it's still within the m25 but i was like oh my goodness we've moved to the wilderness like what is this like there's horses here oh my god like it felt really really rural there's no tube line it really kind of felt that we'd got out there um and it was a lot to process in one go but It was a renovation project. So I just threw threw myself into that, doing something completely different, busy, 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 not letting myself be present with the actual changes, but just, you know, getting on. And then a couple of months later, it was lockdown. So then I really was given the time to actually digest and process what the hell was going on, but the whole world did as well. And I think it quite interesting. Obviously, my my industry was. Essentially decimated, you know, and so many of my community felt so utterly lost. And it's not just about losing your income, it's about losing your sense of community and the people, not necessarily best mates, but people that you see every week doing one thing or the other. But it's also about identity and a sense of purpose. And that was a hard pill to swallow. Like, I found the pandemic really, really, really hard. And it was just, well, this is this is always who I've been. So if if this isn't me, who who am I? What am I? What have I done with my life for the last 15 years? And uh, at points as well, I think lots of us queried, I'm like, if it is it ever gonna come back, you know, our live events, is theater, is music festivals, is that ever gonna come back? Or are we always gonna have this sort of odd socially distanced, weird mask wearing? situation and if it's not COVID is it going to be another disease and, and you know it really made you question everything but I think through that process which was a very painful and very anxiety making process I was then just so full of gratitude and awareness and, and thankfulness actually for the scale of what I did achieve and what I experienced and I think when you're in it you're so like just trying to function be in it and do the best job you can you don't actually realize how bonkers it is or how far you've come to get to that point and you know some of the things I did I mean were really dangerous like some of them were really really dangerous and some of them were absolutely wild and some of them like are just amazing and I'm so proud of myself but I think in the moment you were like oh yeah it's another gig and it's you know it's another experience. Um, and so now I feel after this couple of years of the pandemic and live events slowly, slowly coming back and now back to where we are, I'm coming I'm coming at this next stage of my career at a more calm and centred and, yeah, pre- present space.
1: That brings us on really well to your second priority. Yeah. Which, was, uh, <laughs> which is
0: balance. Mm. Yeah. So... Balance. It is a word that I think is buzzed around so much, and it's so overused. And I've got to say, I O project. You know, we work with gongs, we work with sound meditation and healing frequencies. But I am such a skeptic, and I am the first person to eye roll so hard, my eyes get stuck at the back of my head when I hear people talk about well being and balance. And I'm just like, oh god, here we go. Mm, But yeah. So I think it, for me, I think I was always so, oh, I'm too cool for this. Or just, oh God, you're banging on about this stuff that you, you know, it just didn't resonate with me. But balance is key. And I think it's finding how balance works for you as an individual, and also what, what you can handle and what you can't handle. So maybe I do say balance, but maybe it's more really tuning into yourself to be truly authentic to yourself and, and and what you need and keep assessing that because it won't be the same thing, you know, one month to what it is the next. Or if you become a mother, it will be a different period. Or if you're having an intense period of work, it will be a different thing. But yeah, leaning, leaning into that authentic balance um, is just essential.
1: Mm. I talk about this a lot in coaching, because obviously balance comes up over and over again. People want to mm. see more balance, um and I completely agree with you that I think the way in which it's presented in the well-being sphere is is quite bullshit. Mm. And the idea that you can seek this perfect balance, especially work-life, is just—it's not true. It's a myth. Yeah, and so it's very much about, as you say, leaning into your authentic self and what balance means to you and maybe it means like in your case going really really hard for 15 years Mm. and being at one end of the scale and then finding a way to do something else and slow things down and it's that seasonal approach to balance as opposed to a perfect idea of balance which is just completely unattainable for most people
0: yeah totally like I used to think that when people were like, well, be balanced, they'd wake up and they'd have their lemon water and they would do all their yoga and all their lovely things that we all want to do. Of course, we want to do that. You know what I mean? Who doesn't want to be like fit and healthy and well-rested and slim and feel fabulous and do a hundred things before your first work thing? Of course, we all want to do that, but also be real, you know? And I found actually that my approach to balance now that now that I've rested, I think that's the most important thing. I almost needed a couple of years to rest after that. And and most, I think a lot of, if I said that to my mom, she'd be like, oh, for God's sake, you know, like pull your socks up, get on with it. But I was literally that just overstimulated, just done. I was just done and I had nothing to offer. And I just needed to like hunker down hedgehog style and just kind of recover a bit and and just gently ease it back bit by bit by bit. and for me now now that i feel recovered and restorative and and that i do have more balance in my world i the way i can manage djing djing for me is seasonal and i would rather do things like festivals where there's more a sense of playfulness and and freedom and and also they're all different so it's not like you're doing the same thing over and over again than clubs and dark late night spaces and They just feel a bit more light to me. Festivals, especially the UK festival scene, which is brilliant. It's playful and it's light. And there's less sort of taking yourself so seriously. And I just feel that it's a space more that I want to be in. And I feel that it's a space that I could be in if I were to have children. I could feel I could do that safely in a nice sort of community And it's something that I could do as I get older as well. Like I feel comfortable in that nightclubs and raves and that kind of mood. I still very much enjoy that. But the idea of being in a nightclub every Friday night till four in the morning in the city literally makes me feel like a bit icky inside. And I just don't I don't want that to be one of the biggest influences in my world. You know, I want I want something else. So. I work really hard in the summer still to the point that I think a lot of people would see the schedule on paper and be like, oh my God, you're going to get burnt out. It is, it is full on because that's how you make, that's how you make your money. But it's, you know, you, you're one place, go, 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 go. And then in the sort of autumn and winter months, I go really hedgehog style and just really, really relax and and make sure the sort of, proper holidays, not working holidays, but like real holidays where I just completely go off grid and no tech and just sort of pretend I'm Robinson Crusoe bumming around on a beach and then just try and have more of sort of a normal life and routine in in, you know, the colder months. Do you find you're
1: good at putting up boundaries?
0: Cool. It is something that I've been working on a lot. Um and what boundaries mean to you. And I think, you know, I think the sort of generation just below us are getting really, really good at this and just being really clear and really distinct about stuff and not feeling guilty. I think the thing with me putting up boundaries, I've done a lot of work and a lot of therapy and like healing practices and processes in the last couple of years um, about being, being able to clearly, it's, it's almost just, as she says, it's about expression, not being able to express herself, but it's about vocalizing clearly your boundary. Because I think a lot of us, if we really listen to ourselves and really trust our intuition, which is just, you know, it's just a practice. Again, everyone's got that ability in themselves, it's just listening to yourself. But then actually being able to vocalize that is another thing. Um, And vocalize it in a calm, considered and simple way. I've got a terrible habit of if I feel anxious about something over explaining myself. And it's probably some kind of childhood trauma in a box there. But it's like, yeah, just rather than just being clear and concise and then leaving it. And actually, I think in my experience, when you put a really clear boundary in place and just express yourself, people do respect it unless they're absolute arseholes. And then you're like, right, cool. Well, I'm not going to be dealing with you, you know. But it's um, but it's having it's having the confidence and the discipline to express that boundary and then parking it rather than feeling guilty that you put up a boundary or that you weren't more accommodating. And boundaries for me are things like. When when you've got me, when I'm when I'm doing something, whether that be a, a work project or something personal, I try and be hundred percent in the moment. I'm with you. Here I am. We're doing this, and I really give everything, all the ability and my focus I have in that moment. Obviously, there's something sometimes stuff going on and it's distracting, but I really do try my best. I'm I'm a tryer. You can't you can't you can say I'm a tryer. Um, but then when I've got my time off you need to respect that and I think my agents are very good about that it's kind of like if I'm having you know time out with my husband and it's holiday or something don't contact me and you know it really bothers me when people step over those boundaries but most most of the time they do respect that
1: mm. and the more that you do it the more it becomes commonplace as well yeah I think what you so. do it, it becomes more of a habit for you and also what other people will expect
0: Yeah. I think
1: if you always reply to emails immediately, people will then expect you to always reply to emails immediately. mm. But if you don't reply to them,
0: people will not expect you to do that.
1: Yeah. Totally giving yourself a little bit more space.
0: And I also think the the terrible thing about phones now, I mean bloody WhatsApp. Oh my God. That I think because as well, the work that I'm involved in. It's fun. It's exciting. It's nightlife. It's buzzy. It's music. You know, it's about connection and communication. And often the hours you are working are sort of odd hours, so people feel that they can do business on a time zone that suits them. But but I think there still needs to be some level of um, formality and sort of just basic healthy HR procedures. Like I remember, you know, being, it was Saturday night and it was about nine o'clock and just getting a torrent of WhatsApp pings on my phone. And it was someone trying to book a load of events and talk about money. And I was just, and I just, you know, replied being like, this is really inappropriate. Can you pop it in an email? And it really, it got them cross. But I was just like, no, that's, that's just not acceptable on any, on any level. But um, I think people just get so lost up in the tech use, you know, it's just, it all just becomes this one sort of, just one life. And I think it's important to sort of separate things a little bit into sort of work life and personal life, even if they are really merged together.
1: Mm. It's that immediacy thing as well, right? We expect people to come, if we're thinking about something, then very often we don't consider what else is going on for that other person. We just want to have that conversation quickly. Yeah. We, we can, because we've grown used to
0: it. Yeah. A lot through WhatsApp. Yeah.
1: Come on to your third priority, which is your spiritual health.
0: Mm. Yeah. So I wrote that and I was like, oh God, you sound like such a wanker writing that. <laughs> and I sort of was like... But it's, I think, the most sort of concise way of, of putting it. And it sort of leads on from what we first started speaking about right at the beginning about putting these pillars of self-care well-being whatever you bloody want to call it I hate the term well-being I hate it so much I don't think it should be. it should just be living living yeah. <laughs> well-being it should just be like life yeah um but putting in these quite sort of concrete um pillars or structures almost like a day at school that it's like okay you're doing this and you're doing that and even if your day is quite chaotic, and you're whizzing from one thing or another, or the sort of things that feel a little bit dysfunctional or scary or or dark or whatever, as nightlife world can sometimes be. You've got these really healthy, calm, timeless practices that I think just make me feel connected to the world and the universe and Gods and my place in it. I am um, prayer being, being one of them meditation being essential I meditate every single day but it's not a nice tidy net it's sometimes mostly in the morning but not always it's when you know I can fit it in Um, and I just think it's yeah spiritual health is really important to me and feeling connected to something bigger than me and bigger than my ego is really important to me
1: do you feel very connected to that when you, well, first of all, do you feel connected to that sometimes when you DJ? And also, do you feel connected through the work you do with the IO Project, so the sound meditations?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people people ask me that a lot. They always say, what's your favorite thing about performing and music? And it's always the connection with that bigger power and the audience. But it's more that energy between you as performer and the audience that you're sharing, this this energy and this intention and this spiritual experience that's bigger than all of us. you got the, and... the faithless God is a DJ, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's not, it's not the DJ, it's the God. Yeah. It's the it's the electric, euphoric experience that we're all sharing that is, the, you know, is the godly yeah. energy. God, no, no. <laughs> yes, darling, I am the God. No, it's about that just... How amazing! And and do you know what? Actually, I think a lot. Although they're obviously completely different experiences, you know, DJing in front of a couple of thousand people or whatever, and and doing a beautiful like sound meditation gong ceremony in front of say I don't know thirty people, but actually, it's it's exactly the same thing, and the intention is exactly the same thing, and it's helping people let go. And, and that that's it. Like helping people let go and just be you know roll that shoulders be free and present and that connection and expansion it's and it's it's exactly the same it's exactly the same thing
1: oh you made me just really want to like go dancing yeah one of your events or like (laughs) gave me that real like physical
0: (laughs) god yeah i want to let go i need to let go so good for you it's so good for you like and it's, it's it's how we're meant to be. It's how humans, as you know, species, are meant to be. We're not meant to be like this. We're sorry. I realize this is a podcast, and I'm, I'm physically doing things, but we're not meant to be these little hunched balls of stress and anxiety and and functionality. We're not computers. We're living entities, and we're supposed to move and dance and connect and and just be on a level with people. And I think. You know, society just absolutely wants to bash us over the head with not living like that, but we just need to, we need to free ourselves up more. We need to open ourselves up more. We need to sort of look to children for that sense of non-judgment and freedom and just, just flowing, you know?
1: Mm. I think this ties in quite well to what you told me wasn't a
0: priority to you. Mm interesting because when you when you asked me that I was like oh, I want to know everything everything's important and it's like of course it's not I think when I was younger and especially when you're trying to you know you're starting out and it's really hard and it's it's especially working in such a competitive industry as say music and and events and things like that it's, I, it felt very important to be like the hot young thing. You know, you're like, I've got to be at the right party and I've got to wear the right outfit and I've got to chat to the right person. And when you music, you're like, what's the hot new thing? What's the hot new thing? And it's just, it feels quite greedy. Like you're just sort of consuming and consuming. You're like, yeah, they're great. Okay, but who's going to be next? What boundaries are we going to be pushed? Keep shaking it up. And I think, I suppose the position I'm at now is the you know, I'm, I'm 38, I turned 38 a couple of weeks ago and that's not where my space is now, you know, and there's the next generation of, of young hot things that are doing all this exciting stuff. And you, you see it sometimes with, you know, with people that I know are my age and they're still in that field. And I just, to me, in a very judgy way, it seems like a really unauthentic way of living Like, I think there's a lot to be said that life at any age can be absolutely beautiful and fulfilling and, and just incredible as long as you live authentically within that space and that time. And it's, it's not about being old or boring or not, you know, not, not being fun and doing youthful things. I think I'll be going out dancing like when I'm 80, like, it's it's just about being authentic to yourself and and your space. And um yeah, so I think just sort of that chasing that the hot new stuff all the time, I'm it's just not a priority for me. And you can sort of loosely, I suppose, connect that to sort of like the fame game um of just you wanting wanting to be out there and bold and celebrated and you know, glitters and fabulous. I want to be well-known and respected for doing something really well. And and that, that is important to me, but just, yeah, being the glitter arty, not so much. <laughs> mm.
1: Yeah. I've always thought of it in terms of, like, I want to be known for being an expert within my field mm. and beyond that, I couldn't care less.
0: Mm. Yeah. I think, I mean, totally. I think it also depends I mean social media has completely transformed this so it used to be that you know anyone that worked in music or media or telly there's sort of people that were projected everywhere because that's how people consumed that sort of age of celebrity through through magazines or or you know whatever cool blog was going on now with social media you've just got all these stars that have made their own sort of personal brands and personal identities and people are completely hooked into that person's life and are so invested in the minute details of what they're doing. I just find that really dull. I just find it really really dull and and really uninspiring. And I just sort of think it's such a black hole of consumerism because ultimately they're just trying to sell you something, you know, and most, most of the time that people sell stuff it's based on fear as well so it's just like oh god buy this outfit because it'll make you pretty to get the boy or this will make you a better mom and it's all based on guilt and consumerism and it's just I find social media a really toxic place um and I am an avid user of it which which is very unhealthy (laughs) um but I think I just try to approach it I really try and sort of you know, use my sort of cognitive brain and think, right, I'm trying to approach it like a marketing tool and I'll plan my posts for the week based on something that I think is genuinely interesting rather than posting for the sake of it and making noise for the sake of it just so you don't feel left out. And then outside of that time, I try and park it. But um, but like in the case of last night, you do end up in a black hole now and again and you get very cross with yourself for doing so. And you never feel good afterwards. You never, ever feel good afterwards after a scrolling black hole. I
1: think it's shifting. I think people are shifting away from it a little
0: bit. Mm. Yeah. I mean, um, I well, do as well. younger generations, right? They, they can care less. Well, I don't know because of TikTok and stuff. Like, I mm. don't know. Just And that's more time. And, and the fact of sort of things like stories and TikTok and even the reels and Instagram now, it's just like, well, let's just not even a simple photo is enough now. Not even one line. It's all like, it just has to be this constant noise. I don't know about the younger generations. I feel that it's kind of the opposite, but I think maybe, like I didn't grow up with social media. You know, I had my first MySpace page when I was what, 19, 20. It didn't sort of get a Facebook till, I don't know, 25. So it's not something that's just been there as part of my identity since I was little and I grew up. And I think that's a really different way of viewing the world. How do you feel about, social media and your children I think that's something that it just terrifies me the idea of growing up and all when you're really little when you're 12 when you're 16 and that just being part of life
1: yeah absolutely terrifies me Mm. the idea if it if it exists in the format that it is now the idea that they would use it in those ways um kind of depresses me as well I think it's like what you were saying like it's so much repetition there's like scope there, the interesting stuff and creativity but then a lot of it is just bland and the same and you're seeing the same people try and sell the same stuff over and over again Mm. And obviously, being a teenager is so fucking hard as it is. Exactly. That, that idea of incorporating, especially in terms of like identity and preferences and peers and choices and all of that, all of that shit. The idea of also having social media, yeah, really scares mm-hmm. me. But then a lot of my friends who have children who are a little bit older, many of them don't use that. Mm-hmm. That, that gives me hope.
0: Yeah. Hang on.
1: I to want that. to um. I want to end today's conversation by asking you what your most memorable party.
0: Oh, wow. Or gig. Oh God. Um, so let me think about this. Okay. So there's, I'll, 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 I'll put in, I'll put in three. But I'll talk really quickly because I'm aware we've talk, And there was so much, I could have talked to you all day. Um. So. The most sort of impressive party was the opening ceremony of the Paralympic Games when I DJed. Just because I I am confident I'll never do something like that ever again. You know, 85,000 people, the Queen was there. Like, it just, you feel like Beyonce, like it's just so mind-boggling. The roar of the audience physically makes your hair blow back. And it was just the most powerful prestigious event and I I just felt so bloody lucky to be there and I was so terrified of buggering it up and it was just amazing you know my dressing room was next to Stephen Hawking it was just just incredible so that was kind of like the most gilded like overwhelming thing the most um, I think kind of bonkers party I ever went to was I was the first culture correspondent to go to Libya after the fall of Gaddafi and I had to have bomb training before I went and it was a really serious thing. And again, I think it was that time of my life where I was just like onto the next thing, but I didn't soak in how crazy it was that I was doing this until I was kind of there. And we did a radio broadcast, but there had to be soldiers outside with like machine guns in case, because I was a kidnap threat. And we were driving around in this, you know, bulletproof car and it was just bonkers. And we did this tiny secret party for the youth forum of Tripoli, who were just these brilliant young people that were just so desperate just to be young people. They wanted to have parties and they wanted to do radio stations and they wanted to do like youth theatre programmes. And none of this had been allowed. It was just the most sort of repressed society for years and years and years. It's and DJing for them. And, you know, I was, I was dressed incredibly conservatively, hair covered, you know, just to keep the status quo, but it was just the joy in these, these teenagers faces. Like it was just lovely. It felt on level of like doing a kid's party, but it was just so freeing and beautiful. And what we were talking about, that sense of playfulness and just lighting people up and helping people let go and just dance it all off that was I think one of the most rewarding things I've done and then as far as like my favorite party ever um it'd be Burning Man and I that's where my husband and I got together and it was just yeah just the most mind-blowing experience and you just feel so connected to the universe and cosmos because it's just so raw you're in in the desert and there's this sort of Mad Max art cars everywhere. And it's, it's hot and it's sweaty and it's like itchy and, and, but it's just, everyone is just so there and present. And I think that's probably the moment that I felt sort of most alive ever. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. You got me wanting to do lots of things. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for sharing those and bringing a bit of joy into this pretty gray november day and thanks for talking to me sam oh lovely pleasure take care if you enjoyed this episode of priorities i'd really appreciate it if you could make it your priority today to hit subscribe and also rate and review as this helps other people find it thank you so much for listening take care